I, uh, I, love, I love when children have the opportunity uh, to share what they hear us talking about. Um, hopefully, as we tell the story, they're picking up details and they're remembering things. And in their childlike ways, they just repeat what they hear us saying. And um, one of my favorite things about the Gospel of John that you guys heard read, um, that Shay read as we lit the, the last candle this evening the light of the world, the light of Christ. And one of my favorite parts uh, of, of John's description of Jesus is he takes away any, any way that you and I can have a small view of Christ and it be acceptable. What I mean by that is if you read John chapter 1 in the first 18 verses, you are going to go, John, you are not suggesting Jesus is just this good teacher or communicator or philosopher or smart guy that's come into the world, are you? And then John would say, absolutely not. That's not what I'm communicating. You can read the rest of his letter, and in John chapter 5, Jesus is recorded as saying this, You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. Jesus is saying, and you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Later, at the end of John's gospel, he wraps up with why he penned this letter in John chapter 20, and he says, The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. John sets the stage for Jesus in a way that makes it impossible to have a, a, a small view of him. Now, yes, we can choose small view. We can choose it, but if it's, is it accurate? Is it truth? Is it true of Jesus that he is just a guy who said some good things, who gave some good thoughts, or is he more? Is he what the Jew, Jewish people of the, the day would have said, the Messiah? Is he the promised one that God said, I will send a rescuer and he will free my people. He will make them whole. He will give them a key. He will sit on a kingdom, on a throne that will never end. This is a different description than Jesus being just a good guy. One of the saddest verses in all of Scripture, in my opinion, um, and maybe you have another saddest verse, but it's already been read to you, and I'd love to just read it one more time. All of Scripture, this, this one is one of those moments where it just kind of breaks your heart. Verse 10 of John chapter 1. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. My wife and I um, spent several television seasons watching a show that I will not give away in case you have not watched it yet, but we invested five seasons watching this television show only to have the writers take a giant dagger, stab us through the heart, twist it a little bit, and then move it around. Um, the, the, the show was based around this, um, this guy, goofball guy, who falls for a girl way out of his league. They go on all these adventures for years. And um, what happens at the end is she loses all memory of her ever having known him, having any remembrance of the experiences that she went on with him, and they close the series with them sitting and discussing he's trying to convince her that he is who he says he is, but she has no recollection of him. And so they leave you thinking, are they going to get back together? Is this going to work? Is this not? And I remember... As the credits began to roll, I was like, hmm, that was not satisfying. And Doreen looks at me and is like, 
I hate this. I hate everything about this. This is awful. That's the worst thing I've ever seen. I hate that thing more than anything else in the world. And it's one of those moments where you go, oh, the experiences that they had, the adventures they went on, the relationship that they had built, she as if it had never happened. You see, one of the things you and I come face to face with at Christmas time is the rejection not of just a child who's come into the world, but if the scripture is correct, the creator of all things has stepped into the world and he was not recognized. Like, take that and just ponder that for a second. A lame, a lame illustration would be that of if you were a CEO of a company, the creator of a company, the guy who spent, or the guy or the girl who spent all of their sweat, blood, and tears and finances on creating a product and making this product. You, you've built this company and you walk in the front doors and you're greeted with the, excuse me, who are you? Imagine your response to that. How would you respond? Uh, who am I? Who am I? You, you know who I am. You don't know who I am? Think of that. Now, I could understand if Jesus came into the world and was not recognized to the world. That's a pretty big globe. That's a pretty big ball to have to be recognized in. And so maybe, maybe not the world, but the, the even stronger dagger would be that he came to his own people. And it is not that they just didn't recognize him, but they rejected him. And when I say his own people, Jesus was born into the line of David, a Jewish family line. The Old Testament points to this promise that God is going to send a rescuer. He's going to deliver his people. He's going to set up his kingdom, and he's going to come and do it. And it shocked everyone when God himself stepped in. And he didn't send someone in his stead. As John was mentioning, he came close. He didn't stay far away. The scriptures teach that God came close to provide the rescue that we needed, and it blew everyone's minds. And in fact, they rejected this Jesus. A more close-to-home illustration might be that of if I were to walk into my home, where I have four little human beings who I have done my part in helping create, and I walk into my house, and I am greeted with, I'm sorry, who are you? But not just, I'm sorry, who are you? But I'm also greeted with, we're going to have to ask you to leave. See, this is why when I consider John chapter 1, this is sad. It's hard. It's difficult. It's tough. You read these things and your heart breaks for God. It breaks that he would create People to long to be with him and him to long to be with us, and we rejected him. See, at Christmas time, really, we do come face to face with who we say Jesus is. Christmas time is an opportunity for us to look at this story and go, is it true or is it not? Did Jesus really come into the world to save the world, or did he just come in and his story has been transferred down through time, and he's just a good kid, he's just a good guy, but I don't know about all this other stuff. You see, Israel had a history of rejecting God. This wasn't the first time. John's gospel is actually pretty chock full of Jewish people's rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. 
Now, in Isaiah chapter 1, it says, you know, this is God saying, Isaiah wrote this 600 years before Jesus stepped on the scene. But in Isaiah chapter 1, listen, O heavens, pay attention, earth. This is what the Lord says. The children I raised and cared for have rebelled against me. Even an ox knows its owner and a donkey recognizes its master's care, but Israel doesn't know its master. My people don't recognize my care for them. Oh, what a sinful nation they are, loaded down with a burden of guilt. They are evil people, corrupt children who have rejected the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. This rejection wasn't because God was hidden from them. God had done everything in His power to let people know who he was. Chapters upon chapters upon chapters in the Old Testament, mind you, of God's rescue and calling people back to himself. Hey, don't fall for those things that are lesser than me. Run to me, come to me. I will be all that you need. You will not be in want. Look at me, stay with me, come with me. And it is chapter upon chapter upon chapter of people saying no. We don't want you. We don't want you. We don't want to be led by you. And what breaks your heart even more is that we've turned to other things and said, God, these things are actually greater than you. And we want them more than we want you. Your heart and my heart are pumping with our own desires. They are. What we want, how we want it, how we want to get it, And you see, our default position is to say, God, we're going to do this without you. I don't want you. I don't need you. In fact, I can do all things through me who gives me strength. That's what we want to say. But here's the beautiful thing about the good news. is in the very same breath where I believe the saddest verse in all of Scripture is declared in the same breath. John declares the greatest news that you and I can hear. It's in John's 12th verse, chapter 1. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are, born, they are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So yes, there were people that did not recognize Jesus coming into the world. And yes, there were people who rejected Jesus coming into the world. But there were those who believed him and accepted him. And God gave them the right to call him Father. God gave them the right to say, you are my family. God gave them the invitation of, this is the way home, I am your good father, come this way, and it has nothing to do with your performance or lack thereof. It has everything with you believing that I am a good, good father. See, during this season, we are going to open a lot of gifts, we're going to look at a lot of presents, we're going to think about this, what could be a very traditional story But in man's attempts at religion, family is not the end game. You see, in man's attempts for religion, what I seem to find more and more as I talk to people in this city in particular, is that the idea of having some kind of a faith-based something or other is good. In fact, it rounds me out. It gives me balance. 
to who I am. It rounds out all of who I can be, and it's just a good idea. Or, or there's people who love the checklist. You know, I've done some messed up things this past year, and if there's some kind of a religious checklist that I can check off, then I'll be good. Like, I can handle life now that I've checked off this list because I've got peace of mind because I've done some good things. I'm going to do some bad things tomorrow, so i got to have a list of good things I can do in, in place of it. And then you just have the idea that spirituality is... That's a good idea. It's a good thing, but not family. You see, God's purposes and plans involved a rebirth that gained us access to a good, good father. Um, and I don't know, for those of you that are still struggling with this, John simplifies things by letting us know what is less important and what is more important? In those verses and in those words that we've just considered, he talks about how this rebirth didn't come from human passions or plans, but was given to us in God's plan. See, you and I, we like to consider human plans. We like to go, if I could just do enough, I could say enough, if I can be enough, then I can be all that I need to be, whether it's to save myself for some, some heavenly being or just my own sanity or to save my, prove myself to my family, to my friends, whatever it is, we're trying to save ourselves by our own plans. And the good news of this Christmas gospel, of this announcement that we celebrate in this month, is that it was God's plan to bring you into his family through what Christ has done. You know, as we close this evening together, and, and guys, you can come on up and we'll be ready to, to close. What does it mean to believe him, to accept him? Because this, if this is what it is, if this is what God has said, look, the plan is that by faith you will be saved. That salvation you're looking for, that light you're looking for, that path you're looking for, that purpose you're looking for, that security you're looking for, that hope you're looking for, what does it mean to believe him and accept him? See, this is not just a religious idea. See, watch. At Christmas time, I am given a gift. You need this gift. I say, yes, I need this gift. And then another gift comes, and someone says, well, you need these gifts. And I say, yeah, you're right, I do need these gifts. I believe you. These gifts will be the answer to all my problems. Oh, but you need this as well. And then Christmas is over and January starts. And they're like, well, you need physical fitness too. And you need lots of that because you ate way too much. You're right, I do need these things and that's what's gonna happen to me. So I better take these things with me. Now, January 7th comes around and I've already stopped exercising. So someone says, well, to appease your conscience, you just need to eat differently. So I will do those things. I'll start to eat differently. And then the year continues to happen, and life continues to happen, and people say, well, you need this. To have this, you've got to have this. And to be all that you can possibly be, Jason, you have to have this, too. Well, I, I, I like that. I mean, that's a great idea. I do need some of those things. I believe you. I think, you know, having the right amount of X, Y, and Z, or having this, that, or the other, having the perfect home, having the perfect family, it's all very, very important. And I believe you, and I accept what you're saying, but I don't have any more room in my hands to accept anything else. See, what does belief and acceptance look like when it comes to the name of Christ? Sometimes you walk into a place like this 
and you hear that you've been running your own game, you've been doing your own thing, and the good news is presented. And so what it does is it begins to make you angry, right? Like, I have built this entire empire on my own. This is my, my hands are full, all right, okay? I can't take much more, but I have built this on my own. I got everything I need. And then you hear that Christ made a way home for a rebellious heart. But you're like, it's such a tiny package. It's just sitting right over there. So, so tiny. My wife was saying this afternoon, when you get older, older people know that the good packages are the tiny ones. Because there's something really expensive in there. See, kids, they don't know. They're ridiculous. They'll take this giant package and be like, it's going to be the greatest. It's a block of wood. Don't take it. But we stand here and we hold all of these things and we've accepted everything else. Everyone says, this is going to give me what I hope for and long for in life. But then you hear, wait, if Jesus is who he says he is, because that's really what it's about. It's about who he says he is, not what I say. But if he says that he's enough, but it's such a tiny package, like it's so small. I'd like to pick it up, but I don't really think I have any room to do that. I'm, I'm going to try. I can't even see. I may fall off the stage here. So if I do, I can't. <laughs> I got no room. And so what happens is you begin to go, well, I can't really hold on to this anymore because it's not, I, I've recognized that that's probably not going to work. That's not doing what it said. Gym membership. <laughs> Eating right, money, perfect job, perfect family image. All of these things start to fall. All of it. What does it look like to accept and to believe that Jesus is who he says he is? This is what it looks like. I believe you. Not just intellectually am I agreeing. Okay, I agree, but I treasure him. I say that if this is truly who you say you are and your savior and you've made a way home and you, you have introduced light, life, peace, salvation, hope, I believe you. And you haven't really accepted a gift until you what? So I'm going to do, I'm just going to walk around with this, like, right, yeah, I'm going to walk around. No. Take it. Oh, man, that's it. That's what it means to accept and believe that Jesus is the Messiah. We're not talking about just thinking about it, but that he is our treasure and that he is everything. See, Christmas is indeed about a child's birth but it's also about a rebirth that was God's plan that makes you and I sons and daughters of a good, good father. Christmas is indeed about a family, and it may not be about your dysfunctional family, but it's about the family of God that he has made us for. 
to those who accepted and believed him, he gave the right to become children of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And as we finish our evening together, declaring these songs together, singing these words together, I do ask that somehow you would connect the dots between a, a, a baby born in Bethlehem in my heart and the hearts in this room in Asheville, North Carolina in 2016. God, would you make the connection? Would you help us see Jesus as treasure and what it means to know him and not just know about him? It's in your name we pray all these things.